Lead me to some soul today. Oh, teach me, Lord, just what to Welcome, everyone, to episode number 60 of our podcast and a series of interviews that we are calling Leading Others to Christ. My name is Dan Barker, and um, I preach for, and I'm also one of the shepherds for the Creekside Church of Christ in Franklin, Indiana. Uh, in Franklin, we've been doing this every time, but Franklin is about 20 miles south of downtown Indianapolis to give you a, kind of a visual there for where we are. Those of you that know me, you know that I'm passionate about our, our subject today, uh, leading others to Christ, and I have been ever since I obeyed the gospel in Owensboro, Kentucky, when I was 21 years old. And ever since then, I've just loved to listen to people talk about this, read books, uh, read articles, uh, uh, ask questions. I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, and so I uh, want to learn and, and read and listen to others that are doing this. And back uh uh, last year in 2020, we, Matt and I were talking about this, and we called it a COVID project. Uh, and we neither neither one had ever been involved in a podcast before. And we thought, well, what about this? What if we uh, what if we did a podcast and we would reach out to those fellow workers, uh, men and women, uh, preachers, elders, deacons, members of congregations uh, who do this, the ones that have this same passion, and how they have been involved in doing the Lord's work. Uh, uh, in, in their life and where they are, how they've done it, uh, and just uh, just ask a lot of questions. And uh, and I always try to refer to what Paul said to Timothy in Second Timothy two two, when he said the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men and obviously women who will be able to teach others also. And that's always been a motivating passage for me, and one of the reasons I like to to study with others, but also to teach others how to teach. And then I like it later on in that same chapter, verse 21, Paul urges Timothy and all of us to, uh, to look for ways that we can be useful for the master. Uh, so these interviews, these ideas and thoughts, we've learned so much. Uh, we really have, and it's been really exciting. And, and probably 80% of the people that I've interviewed, I've never met uh, in person, including uh, uh, our, our guest today, but uh, it's been very encouraging to talk to these folks. It's been, there's been some amazing stories. Be honest with you, there's been some discouraging moments too, and uh, that I guess that's life, and that's one of the realities, but as we've said so many times, one of our reasons for doing this is to learn, but it's also to stir each other up. Uh, to realize that uh, in a lot of places, the church is, this is not being negative, this is being real. The church is dying. The church, closed, they're, they're closing the doors. And a lot of brethren, for whatever reason, do not see their responsibility or their role of uh, being involved in leading others to Christ. And we're trying to see what's going on. Why is this happening? And what can we do to change that? So enough about me here and what we're doing. Uh, we're so excited today to have a guest with us, number 60, Mr. and Brother Keith Stonehart. Welcome, Keith. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. What do I win for being number 60? I don't know. We'll have to come up with something. <laughs> we'll send you a brownie or a cookie. Or All right. Uh, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, uh, we've had several people suggested that we, uh, that we uh, uh, interview Keith, and we appreciate you, Keith, taking the time to do this. And 
Keith uh, works with the uh, Fultondale Church of Christ there uh, in Fultondale, Alabama, close to Birmingham. And uh, let's go ahead and get started, Keith. Uh, we like to start out with what I call the, the old elevator pitch or the short bio. Uh, I know a lot of people that are listening and watching know who you are, but a lot of people don't. Just kind of give us a background of, uh, I mean, literally go back to where you were born and, and uh, uh, fast forward to how old you were when you obeyed the gospel and what you're doing now. So the floor, the, the floor is yours. All right. So I was born in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, but don't remember ever living there. We moved to Georgia. We moved to Georgia, South Georgia, Macon County, Georgia, as a matter of fact, uh, from about two years old on. And that's that's kind of where I grew up. And when I was eight, we moved to Atlanta. Um, by eight years old, I was pretty well aware of the, the problems in my parents' marriage. They fought a lot. Uh, my dad was was a was a was a user of of many substances, addicted to all of them. I, I would say, and uh, that was a sort of a learned behavior for me too. And there was a there was sort of a history of of violence in the home, uh, you know, with, with my mom and myself. And and uh, when I was fourteen, uh, my dad and I, to use the old description, went toe to toe in the kitchen. And um, my mom knew that it was time to leave then, and uh, so we left. And oddly enough, at 14, I also began to experiment with the same things that my dad did with alcohol and with marijuana, which eventually graduated to harder substances. And part of what fueled that even was um, I have a, uh, a, I guess, a knack for music. Um, started playing the drums when I was 11, uh, ended up playing the guitar by the time I was 14 uh, and began singing lead in a band by the time I was 16. So when I graduated high school, uh, in 1992, uh, I was in a band that was already playing in the Atlanta music scene, probably, you know, uh, we, we played every weekend somewhere, uh, and some, some of the venues we played, we would play all week long. So I would sometimes drive straight from the venue to school and sleep in the parking lot, you know, while I was finishing high school, but we hit the road. And so at 18 years old, I'm in a very adult world. I already begun to experiment with drugs and alcohol, which, uh, you know, being on the road 25 days a month from 18 to 23 years old, uh, you know, helped me. Um, and I say helped tongue in cheek there, but it, it really fueled, I, I guess would probably be the better term. Um, what later become a, a addiction for me. And, uh, and I was addicted to mostly, um, cocaine and methamphetamine, but it was, it was all substances that I was fond of. I had a pension for, uh, self-medicating to numb myself from the, you know, pain in my childhood and things like that. And I'd also, uh, at an early age kind of discredited the existence of God. Um, I felt like, um, if there was an all loving, all caring, you know, all forgiving heavenly father, uh, then why was my, earthly father, my real dad, that I could see and touch and feel such a failure. And so because my, my, my dad wasn't such a good example, I, I, I denied the existence of an all powerful father. Um, and so this continued and, you know, in my twenties, I met my wife, my wife had grown up, uh, in the church, but had never obeyed the gospel. And so there was a morality about her that was really attractive to me because it was completely foreign uh, to what I had known previously. Um, and, uh, she was, she was truly a good woman and I, and I was really, really attracted to that. And so, 
uh, after a, a few years of dating, we got married. We had my daughter. And so at 28, uh, the wheel, so to speak, came off the uh, living with one foot in the music industry and one foot in trying to start a family wasn't working. It, it was nearly impossible for me. And so at that point, we finally kind of hit the brakes. I, I hit what I would call my, my zero moment. I, I, I hit bottom. And um, in that moment, uh, heavily fueled in a, in a, in a, in a, in a drug-induced sort of mindset, my brother-in-law, who is now an elder uh, at the Mountain View Church of Christ in Cumming, Georgia, showed up at my door. My wife had left me. Uh, taking our two-year-old daughter and um, Mark shows up and, and he asked me the question. He says, what are you doing? And I just couldn't answer the question. I didn't know how to answer the question. And so after about three hours of him letting me basically tell him every ugly truth about me, uh, he invited me to come to church. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't believe in God, but it, it didn't stop me from from taking him up on his offer, because at that point, what else did I have to lose? Right. I lived my way 28 years. I'd made a total mess. And so I went and there was a large man there. I say large because Brownie is, I think he's six foot four. I think a uh, big man approached me in the lobby uh, of the Mountain View Church of Christ, Brownie Reeves. Uh, and um, Brownlee did not let us out of that lobby without committing to a study. And, um, you know, he, he, he introduced himself and said, uh, you know, Hey, I have, uh, you know, I, I, you know, like to study the Bible with you. And I said, well, I don't have a Bible. He goes, well, great. I'll bring you one. I mean, he just, he was not going to let me turn him down. And so Brownlee was kind of our introduction to the gospel. So after a month or so of studies, uh, it all began to make sense. He was able to explain things to me in a way that I could understand using the the scripture always to answer my questions. And it really showed me the validity that I'd never really given the Bible. And, um, you know, after about a month we were, we were baptized. And, um, from that point to where I'm at now is another long story, but that's, that's birth to, to becoming a Christian. Well, as I told you, what we like to do is, is feed off the, uh, the comments that, uh, that our guests make and, uh, we could go, that's, that's a lot. Uh, yes, but thank you for sharing all that. You know, there, there's just so many things there. <clears throat> um, number one, I appreciate your honesty and, and sharing uh, your story. And uh, I think more of us need to, to do that. Uh, we need to be real and not, and, and, you know, and not to give the impression or try to pretend. And I'm not saying that, you know, I think some do. It's like, well, we've got this all figured out and and yeah, I've had sin in my life, but it's not as bad as so-and-so's or whatever. Sin is sin. That's and right. we need to come to grips with that. And uh, because there's other people, I mean, this is a silly statement, but are there other keys out there that, that are 18 years old that are going through similar type things that are struggling with drugs and alcohol and, and don't have, you know, from a broken family and, and don't have any direction? Uh, obviously, the answer is yes, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and in, a, in an interesting way, because you have been through that, <clears throat> I like to call it, it's a blessing. Sometimes it's a blessing in disguise because when you come in contact with somebody else, you can recognize right away 
you say, oh, that's, I, I know where I know where he is or I know where she is because I've been there, done that. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I do. I, I've worked with a lot of of, of young individuals who uh, I'm heavily involved with uh, Florida College camps. You know, I do the Alabama camp here. Um, but I, but I, I, I tend to I, I don't know where I read it, uh, but I read a quote one time that said, be who you needed when you were younger. Wow. And that that quote really, really resonates with me because I needed someone when I was younger. And, um, you know, I get I get asked a lot, um, you know, Keith, why did you wait till you were 28 to become a Christian? And the only answer I can really give is that no one invited me before that, you know, and that's why I'm so passionate about evangelism now, because I went to high school with Christians. Now, mind you, a variety of, of you know, denominational types, but there were actually members of the church uh, that I went to high school with too. And no one ever invited me to go. And the truth is, is I would have gone, I was searching for something. Um, but I didn't look the part. I had long hair, you know, I was a rocker. I, you know, I was, I was a known partier. And so I wasn't getting the invites to church on Sundays as much as I was getting invites to parties. And so I went where I was felt like I was wanted. And, um, and that's why I'm so passionate about, you know, spreading the gospel now and being who I needed when I was younger. You know, the, uh, this came up, I think it was in the first interview we did. I, Benjamin Lee, you said you knew Benjamin. I do. Uh, ben, he was number one, you're number 60. So I need to get y'all together and you can argue about why why he's number one, you're number 60. But That's anyway, right. Uh, it's just a timing issue. But uh, but he made a comment uh, and made a statement and he used the, the two words, what if. You know, when he was talking about what if he had never approached this lady, it was one of his conversion stories. And uh, made me, it, it triggered that there, what if, did you say his name was Matt, your brother-in-law? What, Mark. Mark, okay. Yeah. What if that day that you were just describing when he came over and your wife had left and he came over and asked you that, what are you doing? What if he had not come? What if oh, he had, you know? Well, I, I can tell you exactly what if, you know, my wife had called me that day and said, she said, listen, I know about everything. Uh you know, she, she knew about a lot of stuff already, but the things that I kept secret, she found out about, and she's like, I'm, right. I'm out of here. I'm leaving, you know, and of course me being, uh, you know, in the, in the, in the state of mind that I was, I was like, fine, go just get out of here. Great. And, you know, you think you mean that until you get home and she's yeah. really gone, you know, uh, and, and all of a sudden the house is eerily quiet, right there. I'll never forget that sound. And I know that, you know, the, the, the song, the sound of silence is very popular, uh, but there's true. There's something very eerie and real about the sound of a silent house. And, um, and I, if Mark had not shown up, I had purchased drugs and I was getting ready to do, I was getting ready to see just how much my body could handle. Wow. Uh, Cause I intended on doing all of them. So who knows what, what would have happened if Mark hadn't knocked on my door. What's your wife's name? Kelly. Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds like you've uh, you found a good one there. Oh, she's listen of the five evangelists that I talk about being involved with me in my life. She's number one. Uh, she was the first exposure to um, the church, and, and like I said, she never obeyed the gospel, but she'd grown up in church. She'd grown up with some of the fundamental teachings and and that morality, and so she was really my first exposure to anything gospel related. Um, and so she's definitely one of the evangelists in my life that, that, that helped, you know, 
help me find that. You know, uh, one of the questions that I've written down and I always try to ask, uh, you know, who was a mentor in your life uh, that you think back about and, and obviously, uh, or who's a, who was a Barnabas? Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly Kelly would be one that, uh, yes. that would be on there and, and perhaps Mark, is there anybody else? You said you mentioned several others. Who else comes to mind that, that was there for you uh, at that time in your life? Well, there were several, right? So, so obviously my wife, um, my, my brother-in-law, Mark Bowman, um, the, the man who, who taught Kelly and I, Brownlee Reeves, uh, gospel preacher. Um, but there were also men like, there's a man named John Johnson. Um, I believe he directs the Virginia, Alabama camp, but I, you know, at the time he was just my friend, John and a guy named James Tackett. Uh, also another guy named Aaron Harward and more specifically Aaron's dad, Jeff, Jeff was a gospel preacher preached mostly in Florida, his life until he moved up to the Atlanta area in 2004. And he sort of took over where Brownlee left off. Um, You know, Brownlee studied with Kelly and I every Monday night for three years because we didn't know anything about anything. And so he showed up every Monday night to study and to help teach us sound doctrine uh, because I was a blank slate. And um, where Brownlee left off, Jeff kind of picked up and Jeff kind of became the mentor and father figure almost for me that I was so desperately looking for. You know, I always wanted that relationship with my dad and I never got it. And, um, and Jeff kind of filled that for me. He, he would ride around with me in my truck when I was building houses and uh, he would just spend the whole day with me. We just ride around talking and, you know, helps me understand where, you know, Brownlee and I studied, you know, more new Testament, uh, yeah, ideas, you know, the, the book of Acts, the epistles and that sort of thing, the gospels, Jeff would take me to Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and, and, you know, a lot of the wisdom writings and the Psalms and, and, and really kind of help, you know, help me become more of a, of a, of a man to be a father, you know, that I needed to be and to be the husband that I, that I needed to be. Cause I didn't get any of that training growing up. And so uh, Jeff Harvard was probably the guy. I mean, there, there's a lot of them, right. There's a lot of them, but it was, it was Jeff that really kind of shaped and molded me. And he's actually the one that had encouraged me to pursue getting into to ministry and to preaching. And um, uh, when he died, he passed very unexpectedly, he had a blood clot in his leg. And um, we had a meeting after his funeral to, to try to figure out what we were, were going to do. And Jeff and I had had a conversation previous where he had told me that essentially I was an idiot. Uh, for not doing more with the experience that I had and all this, you know, this newly acquired knowledge from Brownlee and, and him and whatnot, that I, that if I didn't do something, if I didn't get involved, then I was an idiot. And, uh, and I didn't want to be an idiot. So I, uh, after he passed and we were trying to figure out what we're going to do, someone said, well, who's preaching Sunday? And I said, I am. Well, and they said, well, Keith, you've never preached before. And I'm like, uh, it's about time. And so, uh, yeah, I would say Jeff was, was the guy. You know, uh, again, it, it's so important to reflect uh, like you're doing here and think, and I know I can tell you, you've thought about this many times, but mm. because these people have been so important in your life. But uh, again, uh, the fact that, that Brownie every Monday night for three years came and studied with you and Kelly. Yes. Uh, you mean new Christians need that kind of attention? You, yeah. you, have, you have to spend that much time with these new babes in Christ and the answer is yeah. And, yeah. and that's another thing that I'm, you know, too many 
people I'm afraid they think, well, you know, they they're good to go. They've obeyed the gospel. And uh, and and there's so much to learn. Right. Absolutely. You know, I mean, Kelly and I, we had walked away from a whole world. Right. I mean, we had walked away from the music business and the yeah. bar scene in Atlanta, where that's where all of our circle was. All of our people were in that circle. And we literally we stepped backwards and we went another direction. You know, so we needed people. We needed a new circle. We needed we needed a new family. And uh, and, and, you know, the, the, the Christians at the Mountain View Church of Christ, they did that, man. They just they pulled us in. And they loved us through all of the, because I mean, my conversion was not an overnight thing. It was, I was, I probably wasn't sober for five years. I mean, it took me a long time to, to stop doing all the things that I'd been doing. I've been doing them my whole life. And so, you know, sometimes we read first Corinthians six, where Paul says, and such were some of you. And we think, well, yeah, see, they just stopped. But the reality is, is there's a process of stopping and it took me a long time and it took a lot of patience and a lot of love to get me through that. And, um, you know, I believe that's part of the process too. And it's funny, you know, we studied with Brownlee on Mondays. Uh, we had Tuesdays off, but then we're at, at, you know, Bible class on Wednesdays and then someone's home Friday night, Saturday night at lunch, someone was Sunday after services. So we were with, with Christians almost all the time. Um, and it was critical. It was critical, uh, to, to really helping us get on our feet. I don't know what would have happened, uh, without that. Well, it's, um, yeah, so many things there, the, the process of stopping, uh, just little phrases that you're using here, the, the sound of silence, uh, that you, that you and Kelly walked away from your world. Um, uh, and that's that old man and the new man that the Bible talks about. Right. And, uh, yeah. And, and so many think that you can just snap your finger. Well, you've been baptized. You're saying, you know, you've obeyed the gospel. But yeah, if a person was a thief, it's going to take a while before it's, you know, it, that process takes a while and it's different with different people. Um, so the patience that needs to be there for the Christians uh, in a local congregation is huge. And uh, I'm afraid sometimes, you know, they, they, uh, people think is that we can, that process of, uh, stopping it just happens overnight and they don't right. understand why it takes a while That's and right. uh, so uh the, so much has to be learned on both ends and 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 uh, uh the members in a congregation need to be equipped to help whoever comes in or whoever they have an opportunity to study with and do so in a patient and loving way and understand that's why it's called work right yeah. it's it, it's it, it's not easy it's not easy at all uh you know we might have to do another interview. Uh, there, there's, there's so much here to talk about, but what do you find when uh, in different, because I know you do gospel meetings and I, I know you say you're involved with the, the Florida College camp. And do you find yourself telling your story quite a bit? I do. And, and yeah. you know, when, when, when Kelly and I made the decision, when we got the offer to come work with the Fulton Hill congregation, I wasn't preaching. I wasn't a full-time preacher. I, like I said, I would preach some at, at, at where we were in Georgia um, but it was, you know, every, every, you know, maybe once a month or something like that. I wasn't a full-time preacher. Uh, but I had met several folks, uh, from the Fulton Hill congregation when I first had gone to uh, work at Alabama camp. And so when we got the offer, you know, we, we considered this very diligently and prayerfully. Yeah. And we had decided that, you know, if we're going to do this, we really can't hold back any of this. I mean, 
every day that led us to this day is vitally important and, and, th- and we might be able to help someone, even if it's embarrassing, you know, even if, if it's, if it's the things that we really wish we didn't uh, have to relive, if it'll help someone, then it's worth it. You know, and I think, you know, we see that in the gospels. We, we see it with Paul, uh, you know, often recounting his past, you know, in, in, in the efforts of helping someone else. And so that, that I, I do, I, I tell it quite a bit and, and I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, because if it does help, then it, then I'm, you know, then, then, you know, to God be the glory. Oh yeah. No, if it helps one person, but there's more out there. There's so many out there, uh, uh, that need to hear the story and need to know that there are people that understand and care and are patient and loving. Um, it's just, uh, it's just amazing. And, uh, you know what, Matt just, he talks about tapping me on the shoulder. He just tapped me on the shoulder, Keith. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know this. Uh, all right, we got to go here. We got a lot to cover in five minutes. But uh, uh, tell us, because uh, your story. I always ask everybody to tell a conversion story, but you know yours. Uh, we we can stop with that. But but I want uh, I want to give you a chance. Who's somebody that you've studied with that you'd like to share with us? Uh, uh, you know uh, their conversion story and and how that came about. Well, uh, probably most recently, um, a guy that I went to high school with, um, you know, here, here was a guy that, that I, I never expected to see again. Cause number one, I, I'm not in Atlanta anymore. Um, you know, and, and, and when you're in high school and you, you know, um, people and, and, and things like that, you, you still had this memory of them being like that. And I, I know that whenever the, the onset of social media, there are a lot of people shocked to find out that I was not just a preacher, but I was a Christian at all. That was shocking yeah. to people. And so when my path kind of crossed with the, with, with Matt and, and uh, his name is Matt, uh, he, he, he had moved to the, to the area here and I, and I, and uh, he had posted on Facebook about it. I said, Hey man, I said, we should get together and, and, and grab some lunch. And so we did. And, and um, it just so happened. I mean, he was looking, you know, he's, you know, he, he's, he's a military guy has been military since high school. Uh, he's now involved in recruiting and that sort of thing. And that's what he's doing here in the Birmingham area. And it just, it, it was one of those, it was, it, it wasn't the, the most dramatic conversion story. It wasn't the most, um, it was just the fact that here, here's a guy that I knew, you know, 25 years ago and right. here he is in my town and he's looking. Right. He's looking for the truth and he's searching for, for some stability in his life. And he's got a lot of baggage from his time in the military and things that went on and that sort of thing. And so it was this very natural and quick process where he was so receptive. Uh, and it just showed me the power of, of God's work. He didn't, he knew a little bit about the Bible. He, you know, he had things that he had, you know, grown up with and, and that sort of thing, like a lot of people. But it was just, it was, it moved me just how fast it worked with him and how faithful he is now. I mean, you know, uh, since he, he's, he obeyed the gospel, you know, back in, in, in August and he hasn't missed a Sunday yet. Uh, he and I get together and have tacos every week and, and talk about <laughs> stuff and, and then trying to, trying to keep that, that tradition that Brownlee started with me with meeting weekly to, to discuss um, spiritual things. And so it, it's that, that I mentioned that one just because, not just because it's the most recent, but because it, it is someone that I've known over half my life. And you think that somehow your influence diminishes over time. 
and it, it just so happened that you know I was I was right where he was looking, and and I was able to 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 provide that opportunity for him. Well, uh, again, what if? What if you had not reached out to him? What if you had thought, well, I, I remember Matt. He wouldn't be interested, or he yeah. wouldn't talk to me. Uh, we just can't. We got to. That's, that's that's Satan talking to us, right? Get that. Yeah, Jay, Jay, Jay Oswald Sanders said, "Eyes that look are common. Eyes that see are rare." And I yeah. think those are the kind of eyes we got to have when we're looking at people. We got to see people. We do. We do. And we talk about. We talk about that a lot of uh, what we see and we ask and pray to God to, to lead us to, to someone, uh, you know, put her, put somebody in our path or us in somebody's path. And God does it all the time. And half the time we just ignore the people that are there. Yeah. And, uh, so that, that is so good. You know, uh, uh, just real quick, tell us, uh, I usually ask this early on, but tell us a little bit about the Fultondale group. Just, to, just in a couple of minutes here, tell me about the group there. Great group. I mean, obviously, it's a blessing for me. This this is uh, technically the first congregation that I've worked with full time. I mean, like I said, I I preached some back home where where we were after Jeff passed, and um, but the Fulton Hill congregation. Uh, Steve Wilshire is one of the elders there. I don't know if you know Steve. Um, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Steve, he was a manager for me, and when I was coaching at Florida College, is that right? That, that same Steve Wilshire. That's that, same Steve Wilson, yeah. And he's struggling with some health issues right now, right? He is. He is. Yeah, please tell him, p- tell him that Coach Barker said hi. He was what he was one of my managers. Can you believe that? I I'm believe glad, it. I believe I'm it. So, I'm so glad you said that you mentioned Steve. So Steve really uh, he made it hard for me to say no. Um he um I, when I interviewed, I I, I felt awkward interviewing because I and I because I wanted to understand. I said, Wilson, I'm not a preacher. And, and Steve's words to me, he goes, that's exactly why I want you here. Um, he said, we've had enough pulpit polish in the Fulton L congregation for uh, as long as I can remember. Uh, he goes, and it's not that you're not polished and not that you don't speak well. He said, but you don't approach things that way. You have a different approach. And that's really what we want to do here. He said, we, we want to reach out in this community and seek and save the lost. And, and, uh, and so I'll never forget that. And, and, and so far they have held up to their end of the bargain and supporting me to do that. They, they've given me all the resources I need and been very accepting of the sometimes scary people that I bring in. I mean, I, you know, uh, there are sometimes people that they don't, they don't vote like us. They don't act like us. They don't dress like us, you know, they're and, and not yet anyway, is, is the idea is that, is that over time, you know, you first teach people that God loves them and give them a reason to change. And, and change will happen, but it takes a congregation, well, like I experienced at the Mountain View congregation, uh, to love people where they are and, uh, and, and, and help them, help them, you know, become the change that they want to see. And, and the Fulton Dell congregation is at a tenfold, just you've a great been, group. You, you've been there how long now? Nine years. Nine years. Well, uh, that, that's wonderful. Um, you know, uh, we, we always end uh, each episode with what I call one thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, I think we talked about that a little bit, uh, but, and, and there's not just one thing, but if somebody's listening to this and you've got them excited, you've got them thinking and, and uh, uh, they're thinking, okay, I want to get involved. I want to get involved again, or I want to get involved in the first place in leading others to Christ. What would you say would be one thing that they need to do or one thing they need to learn how to do Keith? 
effectively communicate this very simple statement. God loves you. And the reason I say that, for, for whatever reason, we have a hard time uh, in the church. We have a hard time as Christians not trying to qualify that statement with other stipulations. That, that God loves you could have a period at the end of it without any other qualifier. That we don't have to say God loves you, but he won't accept you. That's a given. God loves you. But, you know, and, and we have all these, these things we like to insert there. The truth is, is that God loves you. That is constant, right? That is a constant thing. Romans 8 at the very end of the chapter tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. It, you know, sort of magnifying the idea that his love is constant because he is love. And that there's nothing I can do that make will make him love me more than he already does. Uh, and there's nothing that... Um, that I could abstain from that's going to make him love me anymore. His love for me is constant. My response to it makes all the difference in the world, right? But trying to help effectively communicate to people that God loves them is what's going to help them change why they do what they do. And I, I think that sometimes we, we come with too much um, rather than a simple message that anybody can understand is that they're loved. So good, so powerful, and so true. Uh, you know, brother, this is uh, this has been really good. Uh, I had a feeling it would be, you know, uh, but uh, again, uh, it means so much to us that you took this time. Uh, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, uh, would you be uh, comfortable in sharing contact information where they could reach out? Absolutely, everything about me is public. Uh, you can find me on Facebook and and, and all social media platforms. Uh, you can search my name and, and it'll, it'll show up. Uh, my email address is kstonehart at gmail.com. And that's S-T-O-N-E-H-A-R-T. Uh, and my phone number is 404-396-9581. I'm available uh, for anyone that is uh, in need of anything I can help with. Well, this is so good. Um, We'll be following up with you, uh, Keith. There, there's some uh, things that, uh, that we're working on, some projects that really that have some ideas that have come out of so many of these interviews on some things that we can do. Because, you know, that just like the work there in Fultondale is, is different because of the community than it is in Tampa or than it is in New York or than it is in, uh, in Dallas. And that's one of the fascinating things, too. It, it's the same. It's the same gospel, the same truth. Uh, uh, the Lord's church, but the communities add so much to uh, the dynamic of, uh, of working and, and, and leading others to Christ. But yes. uh, we'll, we'll be following up with you uh, uh, in the near future. But thank you again, brother. And Lord willing, we'll get to meet sometime uh, in person uh, soon. And, and again, be sure and, and tell Steve that, uh, that Gay and I, my wife and I, that we said hi to him. And, will do. And, appreciate all that he's done. So absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, brother. And you be sure and tell Kelly, maybe, we, maybe we should have had her on here with you. You know, you know? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, she's, got, she's got a version of the story too, you know, from uh, her perspective. I guarantee you she does. Yeah. Well, you tell her, uh, thanks so much and you guys keep up your good work. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Dan. All right, Keith. Thank you. Melt my heart and fill my life. Give me one soul today.